you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Hey there, and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I'm Oliver Banks, your host and your guide to successfully delivering retail transformation. Welcome to episode 118, number 118. Thank you for tuning in once again. Now, as you know, Agile has become a huge focus area over the past year and a really key strategy to help overcome the uncertainty that we continue to face every day, every week, and every month, it seems. But Agile comes from a software development background. So how does Agile apply to retail, and in particular to retail stores, which traditionally run like clockwork, having set processes that run at set times every single day or every single week, So what would Agile look like for a retail store? Well, I'm very pleased that we're going to be diving into that exact topic today. And I've got a brilliant special guest for you to help guide us through and give a bit of a framework to define Agile stores. And that guest is Julian Mills, co-founder and CEO of Corso, an Agile stores app for intelligently powering retail businesses and stores in particular. Corso are a globally recognized tech startup, and it's really brilliant, to be honest. We'll get into that as we go through the conversation. Before co-founding Corso, Julian was a partner at McKinsey, where he led their travel, transport, and infrastructure practices. And he also founded the Global Infrastructure Initiative with Madeleine Albright, which was a gathering of the world's most influential infrastructure leaders. Now, this is a really great conversation, and I'm really excited to hear what you think. It's a little longer than usual, so we're going to dive straight on into it. You can find the show notes from today at obandco.uk slash 118. So here is Julian Mills. Enjoy the conversation. So I'm delighted to welcome Julian Mills of Corso to the show. Julian, how are things going? Yeah, Ollie, they're going great, actually, thanks. So um, we're off to a great start in 2021, had a very good Q4. I think for us, clearly, this is a horrible pandemic, but actually it's provided a real surge of growth um, for what we're doing, which is really to support Agile stores. Absolutely. I mean, Agile has been one of those words that has become almost a buzzword sometimes, It's been used hugely, you know, that alongside flexible as well, of course. But there's been so much movement and so much growth in Agile, genuine growth in Agile. You're very much in support of Agile stores, which we'll be getting into, and the Agile store manifesto, which I'm very excited about exploring. So let's just jump straight on in, Julian. What do we mean by Agile stores? Sure. So... Ollie, I mean, as you know, the pandemic has caused a lot of kind of local changes. Stores have been open, they've been shut, they've been facing different restrictions, staff have been absent, um, there's been stockouts of kind of certain SKUs like, you know, toilet paper. Yes. <laughs> there's been massive growth of things like Bopis and curbside. 
And all of that's kind of happening locally. And so as a result, stores have had to move much faster. And they've had to solve problems in a kind of local way. And I think that that has made many retailers think that this kind of traditional top-down way of kind of pushing out a standard way of operating across the stores may not work so well anymore. Mm. And actually, what we need is stores that can kind of respond more nimbly, more agilely to what's going on. And that obviously requires not only process shift, but also kind of mindset and culture shift. Yeah, definitely. It's actually something that I was exploring in the previous episode, episode number 117, which was essentially asking if retail operating models are dead and reflecting that actually it's a shift. It's not that they're dead. It's that they need to continue to evolve. And being able to be flexible and agile absolutely is is a key element in there. Mm. When you say about local problems, just let's explore that for just a second. What does a store need to do to remain agile to a local problem? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of this is about the ability to problem solve issues on the ground. Mm. You know, so for example, if there are certain items you're expecting to get, you don't get because there are supply problems. What do you do about that? You know, how do you respond to it? What do you put up in place? What facings do you, do you, do you put out instead? You know, if certain staff don't turn up, how do you meet the shift? You know, it's, it, it's things like that. It's a mindset of staff on the ground being kind of more empowered to solve the kind of day to day problems they're facing rather than always rely on central instruction. Mm, that makes sense. And, you know, arguably, you could say that's good store management, right? You know, if you've got a very experienced store manager or branch manager, or whatever, those are some of the arguably common sense things that you would expect to, to happen. Is that right? Well, I, I think it depends on the retailer. So I mean, we see this very clearly, you know, whenever I speak to retailers, I think there are kind of two camps. There are some who say, look, you know, we've got all we know exactly what we want to do at the center. And all we need to do is the stores just to kind of do what we ask them to do. And then there are other ones who say, no, 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 you know, actually there's a real craft being kind of a store manager and a store associate. And we need to be doing everything possible to kind of help apprentice people. Now, you know, I, I'm very much in the second camp and I think the data proves that. But I also think that, you know, this kind of pandemic is putting a lot of pressure on people who just want to run stuff in a kind of very top down way. Mm, that's true. You know, arguably more, more dictatorship has happened at certain points in the pandemic. But equally, there's been a huge amount of opportunity, as, you, uh, as you've suggested, you know, to highlight the local opportunities and really go after them for some companies, certainly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's also interesting. We, we were, had a panel yesterday with people like um, Chris Walton, Robin Lewis, etc. And they were arguing, actually, that, of course, the pandemic is also resulting in more local stores and fewer kind of big city centre stores. Mm. And I think that's interesting that there may also be this kind of localization push that is driving it as more and more consumers want to shop local and have a more localized, personalized. Super, super. So uh, let's get into this. You know, we've understood what Agile stores are and you've got an Agile stores manifesto. Yes. Which is based broadly on the Agile manifesto. Tell us more about the Agile manifesto. Bring, bring us up to speed. Yeah, sure. So um, about 20 years ago, some software developers got together and they said, we're fed up of essentially being given a huge blueprint of the software we should build. And then finding when we built it all and released it a year or two later, the world has moved on and no one wants it. Mm. And so they came together in a very, very practical way. And they said, look, let's try and come up with a better way of building software, much more incremental way, where essentially we understand exactly what it is that we're trying to do. And we release the software 
in kind of chunks, often on a kind of weekly rhythm, and learn and iterate as we do that, what's working, what's not working. Mm. Now, you know, most software today, it's been hugely influential. Most software today is built on an agile way. In fact, Corso itself is built on that. So 40 minutes ago, we had a release. We released a whole bunch of new features based on um, how we'd seen users using the app over the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. We'll have another one next week. And so I think it's kind of become just the way of doing things in the, in the technology industry. But of course, it's also spread into things like manufacturing. It's also spread, in, spread into supply chain. You know, and in many ways, things like you know, fast fashion are really kind of agile methodology being, being applied there. Mm, definitely. I, I think it's really interesting. And actually, again, similar to the podcast that we had with Lawrence Bonema in episode 116. So lots of extra listening for, uh, for, for people to go and explore today. But let's, let's dive into how you have then converted this Agile manifesto into the retail sector and, and in particular for, for stores? So the first thing, Ollie, is we haven't converted it. Yeah. Um, I think, first of all, people have been speaking about this for some time. Mm. And I found that every conversation I had last year basically had this as a topic. Right. That's interesting, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I think this is very much a kind of groundswell movement that's happening at the moment. So what I did is I went and interviewed about 100 retail execs mm. and stores leaders and said, you know, what would an Agile Stores Manifesto look like to you? And essentially what we did is we translated the four original values of the Agile Manifesto, things like working software over comprehensive documentation. We translated them into four sentences that we thought were kind of more helpful for retailers. Okay, but we don't own it and you can check it out on our website. We'd love to hear your feedback, you know, if you think we've got something wrong. Definitely. So I'll make sure that all of the links, and I'll actually put the Agile Manifesto on the, on the show notes, Agile Stores Manifesto as well, actually, on the show notes today, which is obandco.uk slash 118. So do you want to run us through the, the four elements of the manifesto? Sure. So um, I, I guess I might go value by value, if that's all right. Sure. So, so the first value is engaged humans over compliant task doers. And this is very much about a kind of culture shift. We talked about it already. It's about trusting people in store to solve problems locally while recognizing that there's an important kind of compliance role they also need to do every day. And it's, it's about thinking that actually stores can solve problems uh, on their own or with some guidance, and the center doesn't have to be involved in every issue. And I, I just one stat on this, which I think is interesting. We send out through, through the app thousands of what we call missions, which are really next best actions, mm. every store to complete every day. And what we see is roughly 60% of those are pretty straightforward and don't require a lot of thought. But about 40% of them require the store to really kind of think and figure out what's going wrong. So an example of that might be, you know, you're selling 300 bucks fewer cookies every day because your cookies are hidden behind a, a pillar, which was something that wasn't envisaged when the planogram was put together. So what are you going to do about it? Mm. And it's those kind of like issues that I think do require local store management. And they're worth a lot of money. They're worth, you know, 8 to 11% of sales. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, you, you give an example like that. And sometimes I, I, I've certainly been in conversations with retailers and they go, no, 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 nothing like that would ever happen. You walk around the corner and there it is, right? It happens. <laughs> yeah. And you need that local knowledge and, uh, as you say, local engagement from people rather than just looking at, you know, planograms on a computer screen from the office, shall we say. Yeah. 
I, I also think, Ollie, I mean, it's just the right thing to do, isn't it? Mm. If we want to hire great people for our organizations, which we do, we've got to show them we trust them a bit. Yeah. Now, clearly, we want to have guardrails in place so people don't do dumb stuff. But people want to work at an organization that actually values their opinion. And that's really what this is about. Definitely. I think that, yeah, empowerment captures it perfectly, right? It gives purpose to turning up to work every day and trying the hardest. And I'm a genuine believer that everyone does do that. Mm. There's always there's always debate when I, when I say something like that. But I think absolutely, you have to trust people and let them do their best. Because I think certainly the, the vast, vast, vast majority of people are so keen to get involved and so passionate about their employer, their, yeah. their retailer. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting, isn't it, that we measure most other aspects of our lives. We measure how many steps we take, how many calories we eat, how many hours we sleep. And actually, we don't really measure anything about what we do at work. Mm. Yeah. And so for me, there is something about showing people the value of what they do day in, day out at work and celebrating that. It's part of this too. Love it. Absolutely love it. <laughs> <laughs> so engaged humans over compliant task doers. Sounds fantastic. What's value number two, Julian? So value number two is action over insight. Okay. And I think for most retailers, what's happened over the last decade is they started collecting a lot more data. And they're now sitting on sometimes terabytes of data. Mm. And what that has done is it's given us a lot more insight, in fact, but it's also put a huge burden on the organization. So our research, and Ollie, I don't know if this sounds familiar, is that each store is spending about five or six hours every week just analyzing information. Mm. And the risk of that is people run out of time to actually do anything off the back of it. Yes, absolutely. I can remember certainly walking around with a store manager, probably, I don't know, a couple of centimeters worth of printed reports I'm sure you can imagine it as well. And perhaps it's, it's happening in, uh, in your store as well. Hopefully not. You know, lots of tables of numbers, like we're a giant spreadsheet when, <laughs> when actually we're not designed to read tables of numbers, I, I strongly believe. And this uh, store manager was literally flipping through all the things, jotting down some stuff, didn't talk to anyone for a, quite a long time. <laughs> and you just wonder, you know, you're absorbing all this data, maybe turning some of it into insight. And not much of it into action, for sure. So I can totally relate to this particular value. Well, Ollie, I, I think that's right. And I think the risk is that organizations end up promoting people who are good at analyzing the data and who can speak fluently about it, rather than people who are good at making a difference on the ground. Mm. And so what we think this value is all about is saying, yeah, you know, data is great and it tells you where to focus and what to do. But really what you should be measuring is action. And for us, you know, what is exciting is, you know, one of the things Corso does, as you know, is it nudges stores to do three or four high priority actions every day to improve sales or other KPI. And every action that someone completes drives about a 19% improvement in that area. So you sell 19% more cookies, bananas, denim, you choose. And so given that, and given that stores can have that kind of impact, why would you not want your stores to take as many actions? Totally. And so for me, this value is about, you know, kind of reasserting that we need to kind of become an industry of doers again, rather than just a kind of industry of, of observers. I think that's a really, really strong and powerful statement there, actually. You know, not just sitting on the sidelines, observing through, through numbers, but getting stuff done. Totally 
in line with, <laughs> with yeah. my thoughts as well, for sure. So action over insight is value number two. Moving on. So the third value is store networking over central instruction. Mm. So as we spoke about a, a, a moment ago, in the past, there has been a tendency for retailers to kind of push instructions out from the center and just tell stores to kind of do it. Yes. And that is very important in that, you know, there are certain kind of compliance tasks laying out, you know, new planogram, et cetera, that are important and need to get done. And I think we'd all acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly over the past 12 months as well, where, of course, there have been a number of sort of health and safety related things that, frankly, have just got to get done to particularly to keep people safe in, in the COVID era. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but, but I think that's important. But if you've got a large store network, you also have an amazing ability to learn what works. So if you say you've got a thousand stores, you've got a thousand different trials running at nine o'clock every Monday morning on how to best sell a particular item. Mm. And really, this, this value is about saying, with the advent of modern collaboration technology or modern social media technology, et cetera, you have an amazing ability to kind of crowdsource insight from stores very quickly and use that to kind of refine your model. Mm. And I think the risk is for a lot of these kind of retailers is that you look at the data centrally and the data tells you how something went, you know, what, what were the kind of numerical values, but they don't tell you what people were doing on the ground or why the results are the way they are. Mm. And I think it's that kind of missing kind of contextual information that this is about. It's about sharing ideas between stores rather than just relying on the center to tell you, which itself has very limited information. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. You know, it's, it's really interesting. So my background before I was in retail, I was in engineering mm. and I'm a Lean Six Sigma black belt. And certainly that part of me in the world of engineering was all about actually how do you predict and sort of model things? And you can model some things pretty accurately. You know, yes, there's lots of noise, lots of variation going on. But if you get a handle on that, you can absolutely do that. And one of the, I suppose, ongoing challenges that I set myself is actually how do you understand the highly variable, highly noisy model that retail is in, particularly in stores where there's just so many different variations. Like you say, you've got a thousand different variations going on at any one moment in time. And each one is slightly different because of this reason or that reason. And actually, how do you understand that? And how do you learn from it? Because there absolutely are learnings that are common across them. There are different variables, different noises, different segments as well. And I think that's a huge, huge opportunity. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan of this. And it also kind of goes hand in hand with not thinking about compliant task doers as well, as you were, as you were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ollie, you're right. I think manufacturing has been doing this for decades. You know, if you think about the manufacturing innovations that came out of places like Toyota, where, you know, in very, very standardized processes, they said there is still an important role for people at the front line to kind of figure out how to improve that process continually. Yeah. You know, that's exactly really what we're talking about. It's just that retail, at least from a store's perspective, has been slow to embrace that. Yes. It's interesting. What are your thoughts on having a store network, not so much as, so much as here's the estate, but in a network is a, a, an AI term I've, I've seen increasingly. Yeah. What are your thoughts on how to best make that store network happen? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think the, the tension you always have here is between is collaboration versus competition. Mm. And so for me, this isn't a technical problem. It's a mindset problem, which is if you encourage people to compete against each other all the time, they're not necessarily going to kind of share ideas. 
is why would you help your enemy? Exactly. And so I, I, I think a lot of this is about role modeling the right behaviors at a kind of leadership level to show that, yes, you know, we do measure performance, but really you get rewarded and celebrated for sharing your good ideas with your colleagues who are facing the same problem. Mm. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. That siloed mentality has certainly been something that as an industry we've wrestled over, most notably across channels, you know, online to stores, for example. Yeah. But actually, you know, we've all seen, right, the league charts, right? No one wants to be bottom of the league of their group or their, you know, their area, whatever that is. How to best communicate that between the groups and and then across the entire company as well is is an interesting challenge, making sure that you've got the right tools in place to aid learning and communication and best practice as well. Yeah, but it's interesting, Ollie, in what you said. I also think that we're looking at the wrong stuff, potentially. Okay, tell me more. Because really, we shouldn't be kind of blaming someone because they're bottom. No. (laughs) What we should really be doing is looking at how someone improves the performance of the store they inherit. Yes. So if someone takes their store from number 250 to number 180, they may actually be a much better store manager than someone who takes their store from number three to number two. Mm. And I think that sometimes we look at the metrics in the wrong way. I think that's really important. And it's it's something that is, uh, as you suggest, a cultural shift that league table will still arguably be there. But having the cultural shift that says, actually, I'm not going to just point the finger at, you know, the bottom bottom of the group or bottom of the area or whatever, but actually think about things in a different way and in an individual way rather than measuring all stores and all people by the same yardstick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things that's interesting is that certainly we see in our data is Every store is good at some stuff and bad at some stuff. Mm. And it's just that the great stores are good at a lot more things than they are bad at. Yes. <laughs> and so everyone has an opportunity to learn from someone else, which is why a store network is important. Mm. And it's also why someone who's low in the rankings shouldn't give up. Because actually they're doing a bunch of stuff really, really well. It's just there are other areas where they can improve from someone else. Yep, definitely. That definitely makes sense. So that's, that's a great value, store networking over central instruction. And then the final value, Julian? So the final value, the fourth value is learning and adapting over following a plan. Mm. And one of the things that we, we see all the time is that the center's great ideas don't always work. In fact, about 45% of all initiatives that come from the center actually erode sales or destroy value. Really? Wow, 45%. Yeah, 45%. Wow, yikes. Um, And it's pretty consistent across different retailers and different geographies. Mm. And so really what that says to us is it's quite hard to know whether something works before you try it and measure it. Mm. And so really this is about saying you need to measure every change you make and you need to scale up those that are working and stop those that aren't working. But also don't attach failure to those. Don't, Don't attach criticism to those that don't work because it's just you know, the nature of management. Mm. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. Some some of this, right, is kind of naturally embedded into our heads through, you know, our, our own earnings, our own cultures as well, right? Mm. What are your thoughts on how to best shift some of those cultures so we're not focused on failure all the time? Well, it's a great question. I mean, I think it's about encouraging experimentation. Mm. And I think it's also just about being open and transparent or role modeling, being open and transparent when you try something that doesn't work. 
Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's also about celebrating things that people try and they do work. And, and actually, I mean, one of my favorite examples that I've seen is of one of our um, a store manager using Corso who saw that they were selling about half as much beer as they should have given their kind of range and space, et cetera. Yep. And so they went out and they shopped the four other stores nearby. And they found that all of them were selling basically exactly the same range of beer. Right. Okay. And so they went back and spoke to their category manager and said, you know, could I have a, um, could I try a slightly craftier range of beer? Could I go perhaps up a grade? And they did that and their beer sales went up 60% in a week. Mm. Now, that kind of change was actually kind of touted around the organization. People said, this is great. We should be doing more of that. But I hope that they would also have kind of found a way to record and celebrate if someone had tried that and it hadn't. Mm. But it's that kind of thing that we should be learning from all the time rather than just kind of pumping stuff out and doing it whether it works or not. That makes a lot of sense. And actually, just thinking of that story and just reflecting back over all four values that we've just been talking about, you know, engaged humans over compliant task doers. That's a great example, right? A compliant task doer would say, I've got my beer on sale. It's fully replenished, priced right, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's not working. But actually, this person has, has taken the initiative and gone and done something differently. Action over insight. Use the insight that is not selling as much beer and then gone out and done something about it. And it's not just, okay, I'll put some promotional barkers on, on the shelf edge, see if I can shift it that way or put it to the front of the store. Taken really intelligent action to say, let's think about this from a customer's perspective. Let's you know push the boundaries as to what's possible. Let's chat to the category team, et cetera. You know, store networking over stencher instruction, again, so similar, you know, here's the planogram, but actually, how do I learn about this? And actually then, how do I teach other people about it as well? And then, of course, learning and adapting rather than just doing the plan, so to speak. So that's a, a really great example that puts an agile store really up there. You can see the value in it, can't you? Well, you, you can. I think it's also why everyone kind of knows what agile feels like, but it's sometimes quite hard to describe. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. So just as we begin to come to the end of our conversation, I've really enjoyed it. And I hope everyone can really understand the power of Agile stores. And we've certainly touched on how Corso can help enable Agile stores through the conversation. But let's just spell it out for people, Julian, because I love what you guys do. I'm, I'm a big supporter. Well, Ollie, thank, thank you very, very much. Yeah, I mean, so Corso is basically an app that helps you manage your stores in an Agile, simple and very human way. Okay. And essentially what it does is it plugs into your POS and other data in a couple of days. And it then translates those terabytes of data into three to four next best actions, what we call missions for every store or every store colleague. Okay. Mm. And it then measures and learns what each colleague does to deliver that mission. Okay. Mm. And so as a result, within a couple of weeks, you've probably got thousands of these missions going on across your organization. And each of them, as I said earlier, is driving about a 19% sales uplift or improvement. Yeah. Mm, that's huge, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's just so cool. It's kind of crowdsourced improvement. Um, and I think part of this is about the financial improvement it drives for retailers, which is significant and it's almost immediate. But part of it is about helping retailers move and respond much faster to kind of changing conditions. And I think the most important bit of it is actually it's really fun. Mm. Yeah. Because we're showing 
people working in stores, how they are making a difference, you know, in their daily lives to form the companies that they know and love. Mm. And I think that that's just a very cool concept. Yeah, very much so. It's almost, you know, it's providing the data. It's not quite gamification, I suppose, in, in some of the some of the classic use cases of, you know, earning medals and trophies and all that. <laughs> but it's actually meaningful gamification in as much as you can see the impact that you're having. And actually, I want to be able to do more. And it, and it must must feel good as well, right? Knowing that if I've come up with a brilliant strategy to sell more beer, that other colleagues across other stores across the company can also learn from me as well. Yeah, I, I think that's right, Ollie. And just on the gamification, yes, it is gamified. I mean, I have to say, we went into this slightly tentatively. So we put out a little prototype about nine months, a year ago, mm. where we did everything in a kind of a space theme. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, missions and when you launch a mission, you get a rocket and you know, you get astronaut badges as you go along. Okay. And we were a little bit bashful about it. But actually our our, you know, customers and our users loved it. Okay. And I think if anything, people have been encouraging us to get bolder and more playful in this because they're looking for that kind of sense of fun in work. Go with it, yeah. All too often systems are very boring and functional right yeah <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah. I, I get it it makes sense yeah. so the space theme is definitely definitely a winner then yeah yeah we love it well there's so many good puns too um although it's quite hard <laughs> to translate into german so just, just a warning that. <laughs> well let, let's not get into the german puns but um <laughs> if people are, are, are keen to find out what some of those puns are or perhaps explore uh, a bit more about Corso and what it could do in terms of turning stores agile and ultimately powering up the business. How can people get in touch with you, Julian? Sure. So the easiest way is drop us an email at contact at Corso.com. That's Q-U-O-R-S-O.com. Um, or alternatively, go to our website and just click on on the get in touch button. there. Um, we'd love to hear you and and show you what it's about. Super. And I would, I would highly recommend a, a conversation. It's, it's incredible, the stuff that you guys are doing. I have to be honest, it's between you and Phil and Sophie, you're a group of people that, frankly, inspire more thought and inspire new ideas. You're a brilliant, brilliant group of people. And I'm sure people get a ton of value, even just a conversation, an exploratory conversation to say what's possible nowadays in, in the world of stores and agile thinking, etc. Well, Ollie, thank you very much. We really, really appreciate your support. Big fan. And thank you so much, Julian, for joining me here on the Retail Transformation Show and, and also exploring all about Agile Stores and the four Agile Store Manifesto values. It's been a really interesting conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Ollie. So there we go. My conversation with Julian Mills of Corso. I'd love to hear your reflections and takeaways from that session. For me, it was about the fact that Agile Stores is not about processes and procedures. Actually, it's about behaviours and mindset. Agile Stores is not something that you do, it's something that you are. And also, I couldn't help but be reminded of that brilliant quote from Lawrence Bonema a couple of episodes ago in episode 116, where Lawrence said, Agile is common sense with an uncommon level of discipline. So I would really recommend, if you haven't listened to that episode, episode 116, do go and check that out. That was a brilliant episode. 
It's called Understanding Agile with Lawrence Benemma, like I say. You may also enjoy the previous episode, episode 117, which was exploring if retail operating models are dead. And I'm also going to suggest you take a listen to episode 108, number 108, with Gary Newbury exploring agile supply chains. And of course, if you are new to the show, then do check out the full archive. Lots and lots of listening to do. And of course, do hit subscribe so you can check out the new episodes that come out every single week. And finally, if you have not already done so, then do head over to the show notes page, obandco.uk slash 118, where you can find the info that we spoke about today, as well as sign up for my Retail Transformation Briefing, a weekly email that shares the top retail transformation news and headlines from around the world, as well as key insight that's going to help keep you on top of everything going on in the retail industry. So sign up for free at obandco.uk slash 118. Thanks again for tuning in and hope you stay well. And I'll catch you in another episode very soon. Bye for now. Bye for now.